stand together, can we? And I want us to take hands. Well, if you, unless you just don't feel safe taking hands yet. Um, if you don't, then just tell your neighbor they've got cooties and you can't do it. But I want to pray for the people uh, in, in um, Uvalde and the terrible thing that happened. Clearly a demon-possessed young man, as you know, went in and now I know the count is up to 21 people, 19 children, all between 7 and 11. It's simply inconceivable. It is inconceivable. Your mind can't go there, but it happened. Um, the parents that are waking up, if they go to sleep, without them, um, the empty bed, the empty room, the empty hugs, no hugs. It's inconceivable. And then the two wonderful teachers who were also taken, uh, young women, um, terrible. The only person that can really heal this is Christ. The Bible says that he's the, he's the comforter of those that are hurting. He's the binder up of the broken in heart. So I want us to pray for them. And I just lift up these, these poor survivors. And um, not just that, but the family of the killer. Shocked. They're, they are overwhelmed. So let's pray. Father, we come to the great comforter. We come to the binder up of the broken in heart. We come to the only one who can do anything about this ultimately, who can truly deep down bring healing and bring supernatural comfort where there is none. Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would oversee each home, that the Spirit of God would literally invade. Uh, Lord, the, the, the teachers of that school that survived and the principal and the way that whole school is shaken and traumatized. And, and Lord, we just pray that uh, you would pour out your spirit. For Lord, the spirit is the comforter. And we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon them and bring peace and bring, bring the, the comfort that uh, you can't explain. Supernatural peace that passes understanding. And we pray that, Lord, over time, you would bind up their broken and their broken hearts, that you would, you would bind them up, that you would heal them, that you would put the healing salve of the Spirit on their soul. And, Lord, may you use this terrible tragedy to cause many to look up and say, I need God now. I need God. I need Christ. I need salvation. I need to turn to God pray for all the pastors and the churches in Uvalde. Give them great grace to minister to these people. And we thank you for it, Father, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, well, on a lighter note, uh, don't, don't sit down yet. We're not, don't sit down yet. We're going to work you out around here. Uh, you get to sit down in a minute. And I'm going to sit down with you. All right. Um, the, the, upst yeah, the upstairs, the studio, is finished. It's finished. Now, that means the, the room is done, every bit of it. And all that remains now is for the set to be delivered, that beautiful set that I showed you. I don't guess we have that picture, do we, AJ? Do we have that picture of the set? Um, so anyway, see if you can find it. But that will be delivered, and, and then we're good to go. All the equipment is in. All the lights are in. Cameras are in. It's all there. So we're going to be able, from that studio upstairs, to do so many things. And you know what? I'm going to have a little button that when I sit down at that desk and stare into those cameras, I push a button, and I'm instantly live on Facebook, YouTube, and all kinds of social media platforms. Amen. So that, give you an example, this tragedy, this shooting, if it had been ready, I would have come here, gone up there, and immediately addressed people that are shocked and, and prayed. 
There's the set that's going to be up there. There it is. And um, isn't that beautiful? Everybody say, that's beautiful. That's the kind of thing that just cranks my chain. I get excited about that. But, but from that chair, now the, the, the desk to the left won't be there. It'll just be the set. The TV screen in the front, TV screen in the back. And we can pull people in to interview them from anywhere in the world. So I can, I don't know, who knows? I can interview anybody that I can lay hold of that I can get in front of a camera. They will appear on the screen and they will appear to you. So from that set, we're going to be able to reach the world, not just the United States, the world. So it's exciting. Amen? You ready to go through the book of Revelation tonight? How many of you have been reading ahead? Anybody been reading ahead? If you haven't been reading ahead, raise your hand. Well, so some of you are hedging because you didn't answer the first question or the last one. You don't want to be found out. That's okay. All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your blessing on the book of Revelation. You said there was a blessing for those who studied this book. And so, Lord, we expect a blessing, and we ask you to open our eyes and speak to us and show us things to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm going to be good tonight. And tell the other side, Jesus is coming back. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, when you're going through a book as involved as the book of Revelation, it helps to constantly kind of drop back and get the bigger picture so that you don't lose your your place in the book. Now, we shared at the very beginning, the book of Revelation is primarily prophecy. That is, foretelling of the future events to come. Let's remember now, dropping back and punting a little bit. Chapter 1, we meet the glorified, resurrected, magnificent Messiah. And he comes to John. And he instructs John, John, the reason I'm giving you this book is so that you will write of things that have been, things that are, and things that shall be. I want you to write down those three things, what has been, what is, and what shall be. We saw that what has been is covered in chapter one. Jesus had been resurrected. He had been crucified. He had been buried. He had been resurrected. That's what had been. But then chapters two and three, he addresses seven churches. And that is what was at the time of John's writing. So the things that had been, the things that were. But then, starting with chapter four, it's all what shall be. So it's all future, future prophecy. The Bible has never been afraid or embarrassed or uh, has ever backed off from foretelling future events. I've told you that no religious book does that, only the Bible. The Bible is the only religious book that has dared to foretell the future, except the Book of Mormon, and they missed so many times. They've been, had so many revisions that it's clear it was full of false prophecy. But aside from that, no, the Quran doesn't have prophecy. No. Uh, Any of the Hindu religious books with their thousands of gods, they don't have prophecy. The Bible alone predicts the future boldly and with great specificity. Only God can do that. The God who knows the end from the beginning. Amen? Now, last time we studied the final three seals. There were seven in all. And we noted that we're going to have to wait for chapter 8 for the seventh seal to be open, and we're hitting that tonight. We also took another trip into heaven with John, who goes up to heaven. He's taken to heaven, brought back down to earth, taken back up to heaven, shown heavenly uh, events going on, brought down to earth, shown earthly events that are going to be happening. He's just going like this. He is having a major revelation. Amen? And John was taken up into heaven last time we were together, and he was shown a vast number of souls under an altar that had been martyred for the testimony of Christ. 
They want to know, when are you going to avenge our blood? When are you going to avenge us? And they're assured that God will avenge them soon. Because any sin that is not confessed before God and uh, asked for the blood of Christ to cover it, that person will answer for it. I don't want to answer for my sin. I want Christ's shed blood to take the rap for me. I hate to put it that way, but that's what he did. Jesus bled and died for your sins and mine. And he rose again from the dead, the first fruit of many who are yet to come. Amen? So we also saw 144,000 anointed Jews who will basically be Jewish Billy Grahams during the Great Tribulation. We saw that there are going to be many, many, many people saved during the tribulation period. It's, it's going to be terrible judgments, but God's grace is always poured out no matter what. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Amen? Amen? And, and so we're going to see the grace of God poured out during the great tribulation, which lasts seven years. It's really, folks, seven years of hell on earth. But at the same time, you're going to have 144,000 sealed Jewish evangelists preaching the gospel all over the world. And we are later going to see that there is an angel sent forth shouting to the world to not receive the mark of the beast and to turn to Christ. So even in the worst of times, God's grace is shown. Thank God. Aren't you glad for our amazing grace, how sweet the sound? Saved a wretch like me. And then we saw uh, the incredible fruit of their preaching with a number of the redeemed that could not be counted. And that was in chapter 7. But now in chapter 8, we're coming to the final seventh seal. Let's read verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. How strange. Theologians for centuries have called this the great silence, all caps. The great silence. Because as soon as Jesus Christ, who's the only one who was found worthy to open the seals, as soon as he opens the seventh seal, there is this holy hush that falls over all of heaven where you could hear a pin drop on a shag carpet. Up to now, the Lamb of God has been engaged in breaking the seals of the mysterious scroll that nobody else could. Six of the seven seals have been broken, but now this one remains and he, he breaks it. He opens it. And there is this solemn expectancy uh, that rises amongst the angelic company looking on. Because heaven is full of angels. It's full of angels. It's full of glorious heavenly beings. Angels, archangels, cherubim, seraphims, you name it. And what are they doing up there? They're worshiping. They're constantly worshiping. But everything stops when this seventh seal is opened. And John is told the time, 30 minutes. Now, that's specificity. 30 minutes. I guess 30 minutes our time. A half hour. There's no sound. No worship. No movement. Nothing. Heaven comes to a stop when that last seal is opened. I saw the seven angels, verse 2, who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, verse 3, with a gold incense burner, came and stood at the altar. This other angel, I personally believe, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I'll tell you why. No other person in heaven could answer prayers but Christ himself. And we're about to see that the incense from the burner are the prayers of his martyred saints. And the one that opens the seal, which is Christ, is the one who also tends to these prayers. There's not another being in heaven that can answer prayers but Christ. So I believe the other angel, Angelos, simply messenger, is Christ. And in the Old Testament, furthermore, only the high priest was allowed to make an offering on the brazen and golden altars as we see taking place here in chapter 8. And Jesus is our great high priest. Okay? Now verse 3 continues. 
Quote, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. Now the prayers that John sees are the combined total of all the cries of all martyrs and persecuted believers that have risen to the throne room of God demanding justice. When will you avenge us? These are prayers. And I, and I want us to notice here tonight, folks, because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes you, you kneel down to prayer or you go to your favorite prayer spot and you try to pray. Your mind wanders. You wonder if anything is happening. You wonder if you're being heard. But I want you to see here how precious any prayer is that is offered in the name of Jesus Christ to God. It is stored in a bowl. And it's like incense to God. And it says in verse 4, the smoke of the incense, the fragrance of the incense, that is the prayers of God's people, uh, ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Praise God. You know, when you even say, Lord Jesus, help me, it rings around in the throne room of God. It echoes in the throne room of God. It because Jesus said, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask the Father, your Father now, in my name, and it will be done. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it immediately, I like to picture it bouncing around, echoing around, sounding out like a, like a peal of thunder in God's throne room. Because it's prayed in the name of his Son. Amen. Now, um, following this offering on the heavenly altar of incense and the prayers of God's people, look what begins to happen with the opening of this seventh seal. Cataclysmic events begin to take place on earth as God's wrath is poured out. So we're about to see what the opening of this seventh seal, we saw the prelude, the, the 30 minutes of silence, and, and during that time, seven angels are given seven trumpets, and during that time, God smells the fragrance of God's people of their prayers. But now, the wrath is poured out. With the opening of the seventh seal, the Bible says, then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. And thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. After this seventh seal is opened, all the dramatic thundering, lightning, and earthquakes are the result of the seventh seal being opened. Cataclysmic events begin to fall on planet Earth. It's time now for the second phase of God's judgment. Even though this is terrible, it's only setting the stage for the seven trumpets. Now, what I've noticed is you've got the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. 21 judgments in all are poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. Uh, sequentially, you have the seals first, seven of them. You have the trumpets second, seven of them. You have the bowls third, seven of them. And what I have noted is that it seems to me each set of judgments is worse than the one before. So now we're going to another level of judgment. And I'm going to talk to you about God's judgment at the end of this message. We need to be reminded of the Bible's teaching on God's judgments, why God judges that God is justified in his judgments, amen? So just hold that thought because what we're about to read ain't pretty. Everybody say, I'm ready. Oh, you didn't sound very convincing to me. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. John records, then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. Now, trumpets in Bible times could signal either a time of great solemnity like, say, a funeral, or a time of celebration. They use trumpets all the time in the Old Testament. That's why we got some up here now. Trumpets, they're, they're, they're a God thing, right? Okay, trumpets, trumpets were also associated with war. When they would commence with war, trumpets would be blown. Uh, and before assembling and marching, trumpets blown. With festivals, trumpets were blown. 
uh, with the introduction of royalty. Here comes the king, trumpets would blow. And with the power of God, with overthrow of the ungodly, and with the coming of Christ, all of these things, even the coming of our Lord, it says the trumpet shall blow. And the dead in Christ will rise first. When? After a trumpet blows. So God seems to really like trumpets. Amen? Now we know that these seven angels that stand in the presence of God, whose responsibility it is to sound the trumpets, appear to occupy a very high and heavenly position. These are, there's a hierarchy in heaven. There's the regular angels, there's archangels, there's cherubims, there's seraphims. There is a hierarchy, just like the devil has a hierarchy. Listen, he didn't come up with that. He, he copied God. You know, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, and rulers of darkness, that's a hierarchy. But there is a hierarchy of angelic beings. And it seems to me that these that are going to blow the trumpet are on a higher level than just normal angels. I think it's possible that even Michael and Gabriel, the archangels, are involved here. As they prepare to sound, we need to know that the world's ecology is in view. It's what is about to experience God's judgment. As we have seen so many things happen in sevens so far, we're about to see things happening in threes. So watch this. The first trumpet, here it goes, verse seven. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire. Can I read that again? One third of the earth was set on fire. Do we read that right? One third of the trees were burned and all the green grass was burned. You talk about global warming. Forget global warming. This is the warming everybody needs to be concerned with. All right? Because what is this telling us? There's going to be firestorms of incredible magnitude at the sounding of this first trumpet. This happens during that seven-year great tribulation period that Jesus said, if those days were not shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, this is only conjecture. I'm only, this is only a guess, but I've got to throw this out. John could be describing here a nuclear holocaust. Remember, he's a first century man describing 21st century events. And he's going to use, remember, I told you at the beginning, uh, like and as. He's seeing things and he's going, wow, how can I describe this? It was like. His eyes were like fire. His hair was white like wool. His feet were varnished like brass. Um, his voice was like many waters. He's always using similes, all right? Simile is when you use like or as. Because he doesn't know how to explain what he's seeing. So he just says, well, closest thing I can come to it is it looked like this. So what he's seeing could to me, be a nuclear holocaust. A stunning one-third of the ground and trees are burned of the whole earth, and all the green grass is destroyed. This is the beginning of the end of the earth's ecology. This is the beginning of the end, uh, as we have known it. And i got to tell you, I love God's creation. I marvel at it all the time. And this is hard for me to read, because I don't like the thought of God's beautiful creation burning up. I have to keep in my mind that he only doeth wondrous things. And all of this will happen to set the stage for a new world that's coming. And, and so I have to keep that in mind. This is the dark before the dawn. The, the, this is the darkest dark before the brightest dawn when Christ returns and establishes his millennial kingdom. So I have to keep that in mind. And I want you to keep that in mind. Because this is hard stuff to read. And so we come now to the second angel and the second trumpet in verse 8. And a great mountain, he says, the second angel blew his trumpet and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood. One third of all things living in the sea died. 
and one-third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. Look at these thirds. Third this, third that, third the other. Now God's dealing in thirds. Again, this, to me, sounds an awful lot like a nuclear, nuclear blast. Now, there, there's people who, who uh, are called preterists. A preterist is somebody who believes the book of Revelation has already come to pass. Oh, it's already come to pass. And, and they believe that it happened way back when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. They even say that that was the return of Christ, 70 A.D. They're called preterists. Yeah, the book of Revelation came to pass already. You're, you're reading history, not future prediction. But, but I say, really? Tell me when a third of the earth burned up. Tell me when a third of all the ships in the sea were destroyed. Tell me when every living thing in the sea died. Tell me when. Of course, they can't because it has never happened. This is futuristic. This is future. So it sounds to me like a nuclear blast. Come on, we're talking about a third of the world. Are you all there? A third of the world. And... uh, just a little information. Our oceans are filled now with submarines and ships carrying nuclear weaponry. As of 2022, I checked. This is recent. This is a fresh stat. As of 2022, the U.S. has 72 nuclear subs. 72. Russia, 45. China, 14. And England, 11. That's a grand total of 142 ocean-going, nuclear-ready subs. Some of America's subs carry up to seven Tomahawk cruise missiles for a total of 154 missiles per sub. 154 missiles per submarine. A single one of those subs can strike up to 154 targets with a one-ton nuclear warhead at ranges of nearly 1,000 miles. This means they can reach Iran, they can reach North Korea, they can reach Russia, they can reach China. Now let's just say, I'm going to bring this home to us. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just going to bring this home to us. This is what's out there. Let's say that one of these missiles struck Washington, D.C., with ground zero being directly on the dome of the Capitol building. What would it do? A one megaton nuke fired from a sub. What would it do? Within a 3.7 mile radius, blast waves would produce 180 tons of force on the walls of all two-story buildings with winds up to 158 miles an hour in three-and-a-half-mile radius, instant evaporation, instant there, one second, gone the next. No structure, no matter how reinforced with steel or the best building materials, could withstand it within three-and-a-half miles. Just a one megaton. There's 154 of them on these subs. This, this would take out the National Museum of Natural History and the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Boom. Such a blast is so powerful that if you were 30 miles away, 30 miles, you would feel it like a thump in your chest, like when you're watching a firework display and those big, really honking, booming fireworks blow up and you feel it. You would feel one of these from 30 miles away. The resultant radiation fallout would last for years and take a terrible toll. My personal belief is that God has kept all this in check. I believe that. Because these are the worst weapons ever developed by man ever. For the record, just so you'll know, a little bit of information, biggest nuke we have has the explosive power of nine megatons, which is 600 times more powerful than the bomb that hit Hiroshima. 600 times more powerful. And that bomb took out the city. 
this nuke would over time, with radiation exposure, destroy an entire country. Just one of them. The whole country would be gone. That's what's out there. And that's what I believe God the Father has in check. I believe that. I think it's amazing that this much time has gone by without nukes being launched or dropped because man has never created a weapon he's not used. I believe that God keeps it in check. I believe God's in control of everything. I believe he's sovereign. And there's no way he's going to let some madman push that red button unless his timing has arrived. But in the great tribulation, I'm just wondering if this is what we're reading. I don't know for sure. I'm just saying it sure sounds like it. What John describes, one-third of the sea, one-third of ships in the sea, one-third of marine life, gone. How? Either it comes straight from heaven like it did on Sodom and Gomorrah, or it comes from something like a nuke. Because John's going, well, it was like this, it was like that. This is what I saw. I can only tell you, give you examples of what it was like. So is he describing a large nuclear missile? Maybe. He could also be describing a giant meteor or comet streaking across the sky and plunging into the ocean. Because we're already told by Jesus in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, and the book of Revelation, that the stars in the heaven will fall upon the earth. Asteros, uh, heavenly projectiles will fall from the sky and strike the earth. We're already told that. So this could be the result of a giant meteor. And I also believe God's in charge of that. God's not going to let a giant meteor strike the center point of his focus in the entire universe without his permission. Amen. Recent scientific speculations and calculations have pointed out the danger of an asteroid or a comet colliding with the earth, causing incredible catastrophe. Example, in 1991, there was a lot of concern among astronomers about an asteroid they had spotted that came within a million miles of earth. Now, that seems like a long ways off, but had it been captured by the earth's gravity, it could have fallen to earth with incredible destructive force. So whatever causes it, with this second trumpet, one-third of the sea becomes blood, a third of sea life is killed, and a third of the ships at sea are destroyed. And yet, man looks up and shakes his fist at, at, at God and curses his name. Book of Revelation tells us that. And they refuse to repent of their sorceries and witchcrafts and immorality. With all this happening, the third trumpet. Here we go. Everybody ready? Say amen. amen. Chapter 8, verse 10. Then the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star. Here we go again. A great star, Asteros, Mega or Megas, Asteros fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, which means bitterness. And it made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. When the third angel sounds, another great star, burning like a torch, falls upon the earth and strikes the earth. This is the second comet-like object to strike and contaminate the waters. The first one strikes the ocean. This one strikes where we get all of our drinking water, fresh water. John makes it clear that this time the springs or the fresh water sources needed for drinking are struck. And once again, let's keep in mind, John is a first century man looking at 21st century events. He's saying it was the, the, the star, it, was, it looked like a great star to me falling from the sky, but it could be anything. He just said, this is what it looked like to me. But since he called it wormwood, meaning bitter, once again, you got to wonder if this is talking about radioactivity, because if you drink radioactive water, you're going to die. So I don't know. It's conjecture, because I don't think anybody knows for sure. You know, I've gotten to the place 
the older I've gotten, I'm so willing to say, you know what, I don't know. I don't want to get up here like, oh, I've got all the answers. I know exactly what's going on here. The, the people that tell me they fully understand Revelation, I'm immediately wary of. Especially like Jim Simple was talking Sunday. He said, if they tell you that their, their interpretation of the book of Revelation is right, and if you don't go along with it, you're going to hell. I'll never say that to you. That's stupid. Th this stuff, all you can do is compare it with the rest of Scripture, and sometimes you can only offer conjecture, and that's what I'm offering here. This could be nuclear. It could be a comet. It could be an asteroid. It could be just God himself pouring out this fire. I don't know. Now we come to the fourth trumpet. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, and one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars, and they became dark, and one-third of the day was dark, and one-third of the night. There's five one-thirds in one verse. So here we go again. One-third of the sun is struck. What does this mean? Well, again, here's some conjecture, but I'm gonna, I think it's a good uh, uh, possibility that because of all the burning trees and all the burning grass, along with all the dust and the ash from such horrible explosions, the light of the sun, the light of the moon, and stars is diminished to the view. That, to me, makes sense. Keep in mind that it took the ash from Mount St. Helens in 1980 when it erupted so horribly it took about 10 years for it to leave the atmosphere. 10 years, just for the ash from Mount St. Helens. 10 years to leave the atmosphere. And what did it look like if you were near that explosion, near that eruption? What did the sun look like? It was obscured. What did the moon look like? Red. History tells us, and this is kind of a recent discovery. Uh, I read about this recently. I'll just share it with you real quick. Um, um, without going into too much detail, uh, one scientist in particular began to suspect, based on things that he had discovered, like the rings inside trees. You know, they tell you a lot about what the weather was every year. And when you cut into the, some of these ancient trees, they tell you the story of a lot of the history of the climate uh, with each year. When the climate was good and advantageous to the growth of a tree, the lines, the rings in the tree are wide. When the climate was really difficult and the tree was struggling to stay alive, the rings are very thin. Well, this scientist began to see that rings in trees all over the world show that there had been probably the greatest climate catastrophe in the history of the human race that we know anything about around the middle of the 6th century, 536 to 538 A.D. Because when he, he found trees in Asia, trees in America, trees in different parts of the world, when, you, when they were old enough to tell, he could go back and see all of them all over the world were tiny, skinny little rings during the middle of the 6th century. What did it? What was wrong with the climate? And so he got so curious, he began to research this, dedicated his life to researching it. And he found out that, of course, there were people writing during that time. Because don't forget, Rome, Western Rome, fell around 420 A.D., so about a century after the fall of Rome. Oh, people were writing, people were studying. There were libraries so he was able to find writings from the middle of the 6th century where people wrote that, that they had been in terribly freezing weather all over the world, that they couldn't even uh, grow crops. They had to start hunting and fishing because their crops were killed by this severe cold weather. And it was tracked all, with every tree and everything that he found, all these, these old writings it went back to the middle of the 6th century. So he's going, what happened then? What in the world was it? Well, make a long story short, he found out that a very infamous volcano called Krakatoa that is in Indonesia, right in the middle of the equator, 
had erupted in a major, major way in the middle of the 6th century. And because it was in the equator, winds blew the ash all over the earth, and it caused the temperatures to massively drop. And he found paintings, artists painting sunsets where you could barely see the sun. And he said they weren't trying to be poetic or metaphorical. They were writing what they saw and what they couldn't see. They could barely see the sun, and the moon was blood red. And it lasted that way for two years. Two years. And it caused horrific climate catastrophes all over the world. Now, why am I going into all that? Well, because I think that uh, when he talks here about one-third of the moon, one-third of the stars, and and one-third of the sun being covered up, it's easy to see because it was covered up in the middle of the 6th century. They couldn't see it. There were four-hour days in the middle of the 6th century. Four-hour days, and that was it. That's all they saw the sun. So the same thing can happen now. That's all I'm saying. Went into a lot of things just to tell you it's happened before. It can happen again. Amen? Everybody with me? I didn't mean to leave you behind. I hope I didn't leave you behind. But I think that's fascinating. I mean, God left a history book in the rings of trees. Amen. Now, so the fourth trumpet completes the terrible devastation of Earth's ecology. The land, the water, the air, all taken out, all greatly affected by the first four trumpets. And unbelievably, these calamities and distresses coming upon a planet embroiled in wicked wars led by the coming Antichrist are merely the preludes of even more intense woes. Folks, it's going to get worse. Everybody say, oh me. Oh my. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Amen? Amen. Look how chapter 8 closes, verse 13. Then I looked and I heard a single eagle carrying or crying loudly as it flew through the air. Terror, terror, terror. Now King James says, whoa, whoa, whoa. To all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. In other words, you think this is bad? Worse is coming. Now in closing, I want you to keep in mind The first, as I've already said, this is the darkest hour before the dawn. This is darkest before the dawn. There's a new world coming. How many of you are looking forward to that? Where the lion lays down with the lamb and they beat their swords into plowshares and there's no more war and the devil is bound and and Jesus is ruling the world with a scepter of righteousness. How many of you are looking forward to that day? Yes. All right. So keep that in mind always when we read this. It's the darkest before the dawn. Second, again, please understand with me, judgment has always fallen on persons, cities, nations that reject God. They've been judged once their sin brought them to the point of no return. It's happened over and over again in history. If you took out all of the accounts of judgment in the Bible, you have a Bible about this thick. Because the Bible is full of the judgments of God. It's full of them, right? Old Testament, New Testament. When, when Jerusalem was wiped out in 70 AD, that was the judgment of God on the Jewish people for killing their Messiah. In Noah's day, God judged the entire world. Can we keep this in mind? Think about this. In Noah's day, God judged the entire world because Genesis 6, 5 says, here's why he did it. The Lord saw the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil continuously. And when God saw that man was totally reprobate and was not going to repent, then he sent judgment, the great flood. Eight people survived it. And all living things died in that judgment except marine life. And two of every species kept alive on the ark and Noah and his sons and their wives. That's it. Rest of the world gone. We look at that and we go, you keep that in mind. You look at Revelation. Is it any worse? The whole world judged in Noah's day. In Sodom's day, fire fell from heaven devouring the city where today it can't even be found. 
Jude tells us why. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment to come. That's your New Testament. That's Jude. All right? So we have example after example of terrible judgments from God written in the Bible as warnings. So we shouldn't be surprised that the Christ-rejecting, unrepentant, blasphemous world of the last days is going to be severely judged as well right before Jesus Christ comes to set up his kingdom. Judgment, hey, thank God for the blood of Jesus because you and I are covered in the blood. Stand up with me, would you? Oh, don't stand up yet. I'm going to take any questions. I'm going to take a couple of questions. Uh, if you have a question tonight, I'm going to take two, and I'm going to answer them if you, if you have one. If you don't have any, that's fine. But I got microphones coming at you from two directions. All right, here we go. Let's take a question. So uh, something that's probably on everybody's mind, why would God allow something to happen like happened out in that town in Texas? In Uvalde? In Uvalde. Um, all right. And there's a lot of parents asking that. And that's one of the reasons some people reject God. If there's a God, why does this happen? First of all, God gave us a will. Okay? He gave us a will. God's not going to come and stop every evil act. Do you know how many Jews, for instance, quit believing in God altogether after the Holocaust? They just quit. They said, if there's a God... How could he have allowed this? God gave man a will. Why he allows man to do horrible things, terrible things with that will is part of the mystery of God's dealings. But we have a will. We're not just robots walking around doing exactly what God wants. When he put the tree of good and evil in the middle of the garden, okay, uh, right there, we were knowledgeable of the fact that we had a choice. You can eat of it or not eat of it. You can obey God or not obey God. We were given a choice right at the beginning. So we're living in a wicked, fallen world full of all kinds of horrible things. And yet the silver lining of God's grace is constantly being manifested in the midst of all the rape, the murder, the terror, all that is going, the wars, Remember, Jesus himself predicted wars, rumors of wars, that men in the last days would be filled with violence like they were in the days of Noah. So Jesus said it was coming. So why God allows the will of man to go that far, I don't know, but I will tell you this. One day, some people came up to Jesus and said, hey, uh, what do you think about the tower in Siloam that fell? and killed a number of people. What do you think about that? Why did that happen? Were they, were they worse sinners than anybody else? That's what they asked Jesus. Jesus didn't even answer the question. He said, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. What was he saying by that response? It's not when you go or how you go. It's are you ready to go? Are you ready to go? Because Jesus said, you think they were worse sinners than, than you? No. If you don't repent, you may not be killed by a falling tower, but you're going to perish in your sin. So we see things like this going on. What would Christ say? Maybe he would say, it's not what happened. It's not how it happened. But it's, were they ready? Were those teachers ready? Because unless you repent, you will also likewise one day die in your sins. Now, I can only tell you that's, why he, that's how he responded to a natural disaster. And he also responded to uh, Herod had killed a bunch of people and mingled their blood in his sacrifice. That was the second question they asked. And Jesus didn't even answer it. He just said, the important thing is, are you ready? Are you ready? 
I pastored a long time. I've seen a lot. I've done funerals of just about every situation you can imagine. Suicides, murders, um, little children, older adults, um, accidents. No one thought that morning they'd be gone that night. And, and I, so I've been asked this question often. Why did God allow it? And I have to just say, you know, I don't know. But I do know what Jesus said to people who wanted to know, where was God when those people were slaughtered and their blood mingled in Herod's sacrifice? And, and, and where was God when the tower fell on them? Were they worse sinners? All that Jesus responded with was this. If you don't repent, you're going to likewise perish. It's not how, it's not when, it's are you ready? Okay? Other than that, I have no answer. I don't know. We're in a very dark world, but thank God for amazing grace. God is moving all the time. One more question. Does anybody else have a question? I'll take one more. No more questions? Going, going, done. Let's stand up. Next time, how's this for a title? A demonic invasion. We're going to see those crazy looking locusts that some people say are helicopters and all this other stuff. I'm going to go into that. So don't miss next week. I'm going to assure you it ain't helicopters. But that's all right. Let's lift our hands to the Lord and thank the Lord for the blood of Jesus that has delivered us from the wrath to come. Can we just say, Lord, thank you for delivering me from the wrath to come that I have not been appointed to wrath, but to salvation through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing one stanza of He is Lord one more time. Let's go for ahead and sing he it. He is Lord. Lift your hands and let's just bless the Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead. And He is Lord. Oh, yes, He is. Thank you. as they go. And thank you, Lord, for delivering us from the wrath to come in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday, 9 or 11. Amen.